Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. And for this latest episode, we're speaking to Stan McCart, a hugely successful lox angler who's been capped 29 times for Ireland and at 78 years of age is still going strong on the competition scene. Tom, the return of competitions for you, it's been hugely welcomed, I'm sure. And just like the, the turnout at the Irish Spring Angling Fair last weekend, like you can see with anglers, you know, there's some kind of sense of normality coming together. And, you know, one of the things I suppose that stood out for me at the fair was just people saying, isn't it great to just be, you know, being able to do these things again, come together. And you kind of get that sense of camaraderie and normality kind of returning to the fly fishing scene. Yeah, it's great. It really is, as you said, back to some sense of normality. Uh, yeah, we were talking about the show there. You were saying it was great. Um, fortunately, I couldn't get down to it because I'm busy guiding this time of year. But um, yeah, talking to a couple of people uh, that have been there and yourself, just saying absolutely fantastic to be able to go to an event like this again. You know, we've missed them for so long. Yeah, exactly. uh, so yeah, it's great that they're on. But like the exact same feeling with the competitions. Um, competitions are back on the, on the run again and after a two-year hiatus, and it's, it's it's great, great. I've been in a couple of them, uh, no success, but it, it's not all about that. It really isn't. And um, uh, one coming up uh, this weekend now, uh, which is um, the ITFFA Connacht Cup, Lock-On. So I'm, I'm looking forward to them. It's great. And very interesting there when we are talking to Stan. Um, you know, it, it, there's such a social aspect of it. Uh, that's the bit I like. They're, they're not everybody's cup of tea, Darren. I, I know that. And you meet people who, you know, have bad experiences with them and everything. And I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but like on the on the main part, it's there's a really good atmosphere in it. And I think Stan touched on something very good there when we were talking to him, when he said, um, you know, you, if you'd be in the boat with somebody and, you know, no problem telling them what you caught on or whatever. Mm. That happens with most people. And he says, you know, that person will leave the boat that evening as a friend of you, you know, uh, as a friend of yours. You know, you, you, you quite often, the morning of a competition, you get into a boat with a stranger. And by the evening time, you, you could leave with a, a friend for life. And, and that's the beauty of it. You get to fish with other people that you wouldn't normally get to fish with. And that's a huge aspect. Of it. And the other thing I got from it as well is it's that coming together of ideas that actually drives on the sport. You know, I, I know I'd know a bit more maybe kind of from the riverside and I've read up on it more in the sense of what we learned from, you know, the, the Europeans, whether it was the French, whether it was the Czechs and how they really brought on new ideas in terms of the development, the nymphing and all that side of it. And really got that from Stan in the sense of what you could learn from what, especially the English anglers, maybe in terms of the still waters there, the ideas that they brought and that Irish anglers, like Stan talks about the boobies, wasn't it? He was fishing. Yeah, that was, that was actually great. It was great. And I think the, the funniest thing was, he said was well, the first time he was going to try it when he tried it on and the other guy in the boat just sort of looked at it. Uh, but you know, but it worked, but you've got to try these things and that's it. You know, I mean, that's the thing about competitions. It, it drives people to try different methods different and different ideas. No, they don't always work. They don't always work. But but because uh, they're tried, people will find out. And the boobies was one. The other thing, which I thought was very interesting that he said was, you know, how, how they've ended up finding fish in La Herne, Daphne feeders of the open water, which would have stemmed from uh, competitions in Loch Mask in the World Cup. And a, a drive to find different methods and different fish. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, that that is another aspect of it. And it filters down then, you know from the competitions level down down to 
the ordinary anglers then you know be, and it's funny what was once maybe kind of frowned upon or laughed at then suddenly becomes the kind of new go-to method like yeah the norm know. the yeah. norm yeah you know i mean like i i can remember being asked in all sincerity by people would you ever catch a brownie on a booby you know uh you know wild brown do you ever catch a wild brown on a booby and you know you do yeah, <laughs> you too, and there's more and about that. Shows you, yeah. Okay, sure. Look, we might move on to um, have a listen to what Stan has to say. Yeah, no, but you, with Stan as well, with all the caps he has and a lifetime experience of angling and competition fishing, you could really get he still has that enthusiasm. Like, and he's sort of saying, like, the night before he's going to, you know, maybe come down to fish carb or fish a place that, you know, he finds it hard to sleep. I mean, that's that that's great. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, it just shows just shows what angling and fly fishing can do for some of us and still does for us even after years of experience keeps you young so uh we started off with uh stan i i asked him like because he's from garva uh, he's not exactly uh right beside the major locks in ireland where, where it all started for him on the on the competition scene i, I did a lot of rubber fishing talking i started i left actually i'm, I'm originally from balamoni at the and uh I'd done a lot of rubber fishing at that time. And then there was a challenge came one time with, with three of us. We decided we'd, we'd fish an Ulster Championship one time. So we fished the Ulster Championship and we qualified from the Ulster Championship to fish the National. So that was our first outing. Three of us never was in a boat before top in our life. And you wouldn't believe where we went to. Where did you go? Put her out and put her out in the Galway <laughs> uh, to fish Corrup. And Tom, that was an experience I never forget. You know what I mean? I uh, qualified, that was my first time I've qualified for the Irish team. But that was in, was in Loch Corrup. And the boatman, the boatman, I thought, you know, whenever you get into a boat, Tom, he would just fish around the area. But my boatman was from Greenfields. He was. And my first stop, Tom, was in Greenfield Bay. <laughs> and uh, he took me right enough. It was a great boatman. I, I, I can't remember his name, but he was a great boatman. And uh, I said to him, why? Well, he says, I wouldn't know the outer side of the lake. My fishing has done on the Greenfield side. So I said, that suits me, Grand. I said, you, you, take, you go where you want to go, and I'll fish, and, and we'll see what happens. And I can remember, I fished on that day. And I qualified, with, you know, I think maybe, maybe fourth or fifth at that, that time, you know. And that was my first experience of boat fishing on the Loch Corrib. Wow, <laughs> that was fairly into the deep end. So that was your first ever time on Loch Corrib. And that was, that was yeah. And you, you would get that was, Tom, 1981. That's whenever I qualified. My first fishing away at that time was to... Uh, Chew Valley. And Chew Valley, Chew Valley in the South Valley, Island, that was your first cap. Uh, yeah. And that is a story, Tom, that uh, I have, I have to tell you about that story, Tom, that that did my first international and the enthusiasm that I had, if all me, I had to leave from home to go to Dublin airport to get the, the plane. Going out of Belfast, down the M1, the car started backfiring, Tom, it wasn't going well. And you know what they did do? You know the reds are facing at the centre of a motorway. I seen the gap and the motor, the reservation, straight through the gap, come up the far side to go back into Belfast again. 
was up, wasn't 100 yards all they got, na, 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 na. The police, the police guy, the police, and they poked me on and they said, uh, you know what you did there? I said, I did, surely. I said, I said, I'm awfully sorry, but I said, it's the excitement of going. I said, he said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to fish for Ireland and I have to be at Dublin Airport at a certain time. And uh, he said to me, you know, that was a terrible thing you did. I said, I honestly do know what was, was terrible. But he says, right, he says, uh, follow me. And he, the, the police car took me up onto Isaac um, Agnew's guys. It was a Volkswagen car with them. And I took the I, I actually hired a car from them, Tom. Left the car to get fixed. Headed back down to Dublin. Got into Dublin airport. Plane was taken off. So I must, I must there, I must the plane. But I went and I went and bought a ticket, Tom. Another ticket to take me over to England. I went over and I, I flew into Birmingham, and I got the train from Birmingham to a place Kelso, where the team was staying at. I arrived on at the hotel at eleven o'clock at night, and the the team was there, and they were Tom. You wouldn't believe. You know, the gratitude that I got for making the effort uh, that happened to get to the team. Uh, and that night at the hotel, oh, they were more than good, Tom. I was only a young fellow then, Tom. And the team was... And what they did do, uh, some a story that I'll never forget, Tom. They um, actually said to me, he says, you've made a lot of expense uh, coming here. I says, but I, I didn't mind the expense. I says, I had to get here. One way or the other, I was getting here. It doesn't matter what way I was going to get. So they actually uh, got together and bought me my airfare, Tom, for going over the expenses. And they paid the expenses. And that's a, that's a story of my first international. And something we just cannot forget, Tom, you know. But it was, uh, it was um, like the stories that you have through fishing over the years are phenomenal, Tom. I, I just don't forget them, you know. So, you weren't going to miss that one, were you? You really weren't going to miss it. I wasn't going to miss that, Tom. I knew the, the crown all we finished second, Tom, and two valley at that time. Uh, we, we finished second, Tom. We had a photograph up the stairs uh, on the fishing room of all the team members that was there. It was, and a lot of them now got they're now passed away, Tom. But it's something that I can look back for. Um, at that time, nineteen eighty-one. And then, and then in 1986, I got the honour, Tom. I'd like to fish three times from 81 to 1986, and I got the privilege of be, being captain of the Irish team. And I was only a young fellow at that time. And they, ah, the, what you say, the feeling that I had being asked to be captain as a young, for a young fellow, I just couldn't get over it, you know. And there were papers, newspapers up here. They got to hear about it, and there was a whole write about it. Here, the local papers here, Tom, whole write about it, write up about it, and um, that's something I have photographs and things taken, memorabilia that I just want to look at. Rather, you know, something you never forget, you know. So that was my first experience fishing an international Tom. That, that was unreal. Where actually, where when you were captain that first time you were captain, what where was that international start? That it was in Chew Valley, Tom. Oh, it was True Valley again? Yeah. True Valley again, yeah. And uh, uh, I, I, the photographers are something that I keep looking at. I'm never going to know them up with fishing flight down room there. And uh, some of the faces, I had a great friend of them. I'm sure you probably know him, 
the late Christy Slater. You remember Christy Slater? Christy Slater, you know, I was only, Christy Slater actually took me under his wing at that time. And whenever he was going to fish anywhere, an Irish team, uh, it wouldn't go unless I was going. That's how, you know, I befriended him that much. And I was a good friend right to the last. And um, he said he took me and he showed me. The Very tactics. good angler. In fact, with Christy, Christy was from Mullingar. Christy um, yeah. held the record for the Irish Caps before you, didn't he? He did. He did show me yeah. He did show me. 26, didn't he? 26 caps there, Dan. Yeah. 26 caps. <laughs> and they, he, he, uh, see, see, what you, see, see what you did to him for him being so nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said to me, just that off, just a few years later, he says to me, he said, you'll surpass that, all right. He said, the way you can fish. You know, did he say that to you? Yeah. I did, surely. I remember, I remember the last time we actually. A fish Tom, uh, before he took on well, and uh, we were to, in Grafton, we back to go to Grafton, and he wouldn't go, it wasn't going. And um, they asked me, and I rang him, and I says, Christy, come on, he says, he says, I'm going, he says, and I'm on the team, he says, I'd like you to come along. So he did come, and that was his last uh, thing on fishing, an Irish team, Tom. So that was his that. last cap. That was his last cap, yeah, it was surely. And but he had. He had that clay talk, which I never did. He was able to qualify twice on the one year. It, you know, when you, you, we, we have two chances there, you the autumn team and the spring team, and he qualified for both of them because years gone by, it's not the same profile we have now, Tom. If you stayed on, if you were in the top four, years gone by, you stayed on, automatically stayed on. There was a rollover a roll over. if you were in the top four exactly. of the team in the in the actual international yeah. match. That's correct. You kept your, you kept your place. You kept your place. Yeah. I did yeah. that a good few times to myself, though. Did you? I, yeah. I did that. That helped you, but... Actually, you're talking there about a few places, and because I was going to ask you, outside of Ireland, let's say we talk about that, but outside of Ireland, where was your favourite venue? I... I am imagine you might tell me Chew, but no, maybe not. Where's your favourite venue? Lake Ah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I tell you, I remember uh, Loch Leven and uh, you know Joe Crane. You know, know Joe, Joe Crane, Crane well. very well. Joe and Crane Joe very and me well, yeah. and we were fishing Loch Leven um, at an international. And um, we went round this corner, there's a wee bay, and I think you just think they call it Victoria Bay. Queen Victoria was to be that's Victoria. And here we've seen the boats, these the English boats anchored, you know, certain thing. And uh, Joe said to me, he says, Tell them suspicious looking boys, he says there's something going on. So we done it over there, and as soon as we and away they went. But anyway, I got a trout, Tom. I hooked a trout with three pounds, bought it to the boat. Well, the maggots, Tom, that's a picture. The maggots was dropping out of it. <laughs> it was. Joe said, would you look? He says, them boys was that, you know, Joe. And he said, them boys have been uh, ground baiting us. He says, so we're going to fish this tomorrow. He says, the maggots. You know what I mean? And we brought on, and Joe says, I'm going to tell uh, the manager, he says, at that, at that time, he says, we'll tell him what was going on. But never was a thing done about it. Tom. Nothing ever happened about it. My God. Because I'm fascinated by this, um, Tom and Stan, is like, you know, to be at that level where you're fishing, you know, for your country and, you know, internationals. Um, how hard is it a to get to that level, and then to 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 maintain that stand where you got twenty nine caps? You know, like 
keep it at that? Like, how, how like, did, did fly, fly fishing have to literally nearly take over your life to keep at that level? Like, well, you talk about the footballers, they have to practice, and fishing's exactly the same. And once you, once you, once you get onto a boat, every island you see or every shallow you see, you're expecting fish on it. So you're trying your, you're trying all the tactics you can think in your head to catch you fish. And if you keep going on and doing that, you will get better and better and better. And then I said, if you're fishing with your boat partner, you watch what he's doing. And if he's catching fish, you watch what way he's catching them, his retrieve. They'll always tell you the flies. There's no, no worry about that. It's retrieve. It's very crucial in fishing to this, even for rainbow fishing or even for brown trout fishing. Some people, I'm sure you've seen it whenever people say, if you're out fishing, especially the Irishmen, they lift the rod and they dabble up over the, the wave. That has all changed now. It is. And now it's as fast as a retriever you can get. The dabbler was brought into the equation a few years ago, and that was a thing that changed the fly fishing because it was always floating line and a double at the top. Now it's DI3s, and you go to DI5, or you go to sweep lines. Them is all that come in now to brown trout fishing. Why brown trout fishing? Because the, the, the fishing has changed that much that the fish is not are no longer on the surface level as they used to be. So now you have to get them to go down to them. And the whole thing, to me, I was thought the whole secret was that whenever you made up your mind what you were going to fish that day, you looked at the weather, you looked what way the one direction was coming. And that's that, that's, that told you what way to fish. And we uh, today, that's if I'm going fishing, that's the first thing I'll find out what does the weather like, what one direction is. And then that you know exactly, you know exactly where you're going to the lake, to where to go to, you know. And- and tell me this then, is the beauty of kind of the competitions is that you actually get to learn and to see how other countries and other places and other anglers are doing new methods. And that's the kind of real maybe genius of these competitions. And that's really kind of where the, the innovation and developments come from then, is it? That, that is what, that exactly where it's come from. That the the angling over the last number of years have changed dramatically because there's a younger generation and they're keener to fishing now than what we were whenever, whenever I was a young fella. Now, and they're, they're learned quicker because the rainbow fishing now has come into Ireland in a big way. And people, I think the most important thing they did do, whenever they stopped Loch Lean at Castle Polar with rainbows, now there's a lot of anglers go to fish Loch Lean. That learns them what way to fish rainbows. It's a completely different method fishing rainbows than it is fishing brown trout. And once you learn what way to fish rainbows, what depth they're at, the speed of your retrieve, your flies, it's most important as well. The size of the flies is very important. That is whenever you learn. That once you get on to that, to that there, you'll never forget them things. It's just like you've a, a memory. And that goes on, and that stays in your head forever, you know, in your memory, and you won't, you won't lose that. No. Can I ask just one more, just follow up question on that? Um, and Tom, you might jump in here. So, Stan, you were saying because of recent years, the way fishing has gotten, you having to, you know, the floating line, you're not fishing that anymore. You're having to go deeper. Why is that? I, I, I don't. I think it's maybe pressure fishing, round trip fishing over the years. Whenever we were fishing, 
if you would have seen probably 20 boats out during the Mayfly, for instance, you know, you had a great time. But now, we, all, we have a, what we call now the Duffer's Fortnight. You've you heard that phrase before. Now, everybody that has a boat is on for that fortnight fishing the Mayfly. Some of them haven't a clue about fishing Mayfly. And some of them, people, the first thing whenever you're fishing, you catch a fish, you look out around the back of your boat and the three other boats come behind you. So you will not have a second chance on that draft, and that's just pressure of fishing. More people has, I would say, probably more leisure time, and now they're actually taking up fishing to this, and that is why you've, you've, you've uh, pressure on on the on the big brown trout lake fishes. They're all the they're all the same, all the same. It's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Like in the sense of we want more people fishing and enjoying it, taking up the sport, but then <laughs> it also. That, that is correct. That, that's what's happening, you know. It's, 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 it's sad, you know, that the brown trout fishing, you know, the wild brown trout fishing have deteriorated over the last number of years. And if I honestly think that that's pressure fishing, not only that, I am a great believer in, you know, catch and release for brown trout fishing. And the wild brown trout fishery, particular, uh, every fish you get should be released because if you take that fish and hit them in the head, there's nobody else is going to get a chance to catch them again. And that's what I uh, try to, to emphasize to people. Wild brown trout, put them back again. Give somebody else a chance to catch that fish. You know? So that's, that's fishing for you now, the way things have changed. You know? Yeah, very interesting. No, I agree with you there, Stan, particularly as well on the, on the fishing pressure, particularly in May. What you said there, you catch a fish in May, you look behind you and next thing, you, you're thinking of doing the drift again, but you won't because about three or four drifts, guys queuing up behind you. And yeah, it's very true what you said. No doubt the pressure on that. And I suppose we have to respond to different methods to, to, to you know, to, to try and catch the fish in, in different styles and something that they're not used to. That's right, Tom. That is correct. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, you know, brown trout, white brown trout, uh, as they're educated, Tom. You know, I mean, people think, you know, uh, a dumb animal or a dumb fish, you know, just a matter of throwing out a fly and take it. That's not like that anymore. Maybe years gone by, it was like that, but not anymore, you know. You have to be really good at fishing, Tom, and you know that yourself, to, you know, to know where to go till and know what flies to put on. And I think that's very important, you know, whenever you're taking up, and if it's taking up fishing, that's not a thing you're going to learn overnight. That takes years and years of experience to you know to be good. No. It's actually funny you, you mentioned that about the educated fish. I was actually speaking to David Norman, who's um, a bass fishing guide in West Cork, um, the other day. And, and I remember the first few times when I was fishing with him, and he's gone away from the daytime fishing for bass, and he's concentrating more on the nighttime fishing because he says it's it's, it's you have a better chance of catching. And it's the exact same words he used. The bass are getting educated, he says, because of fishing pressure. And it's fascinating, you know, we're talking about wild brownies in the lake and we're talking about bass on an Atlantic coastline and it's the same. I think, like what you said there, both of you, it's a survival instinct. If that's, if the fish doesn't adapt, they don't survive. So and they're wild. Yeah. yeah, that's correct, you know. They're wild. Mm-hmm. It's funny, it's funny. The only time I'll ever see fish near to the boat, just what you said there, Dar. The only time I ever see brownies on the lake here near to the boat is when I'm doing the nighttime fishing on the dry buzzer. Yes, 
yeah. the only time, I don't know if you see it as well, Stan, in evening time, it's the only time they're not afraid of the boat because they can't really see it. It's the lake comes alive, Tom. I always say oh, the lake great. comes alive. <laughs> no. I think they know, I actually think they know, uh, you know, it comes a certain stage in the day there that the boats is off it and they have the whole lake to the south and they can come and they can cruise about, you know what I mean? And that's, that's great. I, I always think it's great, like yourself, if I have to go to fish like the Corb, I mean, I'm, to go to Rard, a six-hour journey for me, do you follow me? And if I go to, to the Greenfield side, it's four, uh, four hours, you know what I mean? Or to go to Mass, it's four hours. But you don't mind, if you're keen on fishing, mileage makes no difference You just cannot wait. I mean, I would still be as excited, Tom, to go to fish now as it would have been up to 50 years ago. Come, if I was to say to Guy, Guy, we're going fishing in the morning. I have, I couldn't hardly sleep at night, Tom, because I know I'm getting up and going fishing. <laughs> That's silly for an old man like me to say that, but that is that, is, that enthusiasm, Tom. I it just, I can't get rid of it. That's just nonsense, you know. I, I, it's something that I think you know, and because that I rubber fished in my young days, and then I got this challenge of going on to fishing lakes. That that really got me going, Tom. You know what I mean? I tell river fish, but not the same extent as I, I fish the lakes now. You know, I, I love it, Tom. Still to this day, I just I just can't get enough of that. That's true. You know? What is it about the lakes, Dan? As what is it about the lakes as opposed to the river? The the towns. If you go to a river, you can wade a river, and it's even if it's only thirty yards wide. You follow me? But you step into a boat. And get the lake and look up the lake and see nothing but water for miles and miles and miles. And then you say to yourself, Where on other places am I going to catch fish here? But that's experience will tell you where to go to over the years. You know what I mean? We fish shallows uh, and you fish around rocky shores, rocky points, things like that. You, you get to know where the fish will be. I mean, like a mask, you take the mask on there. I think it's maybe. I remember my right saying, Tom, that 20 years ago, they realised that there was fish in the ditch. Yeah, about 20 years that. ago. Yeah, yeah? Not yeah about 20 that. years ago. Yeah. Years ago. They realised then there were fish in the ditch. Now, we have got the state now in Loch Erne, for instance, now. Comes the month of July to that. We go out into the ditch, Tom, and we're getting exactly the same as you was getting in Corp. And that's, it's not, that's so strange. They never realised, I mean, you took a lake, you took mask, could be some places in Locker and could be 100 feet deep, Tom. You follow me? And you're drifting out there, and these fish come up, and they're exactly the same type of fish that you would get in mask. They're these dark coloured fish, you know what I mean? From a pound and a half to two pounds, and that's the maximum. But they're, they're there, Tom. And it's only this last 10 years in Locker that we've actually got used to that, that they are there. That's amazing. And do you think, Stan, that was on account of that lads were catching them on Loch Mask and they said, sure, let's try the deeps on Loch Hearn. Is that what happened, do you think? No, that's exactly, Tom. That's what the fellas in Loch, uh, we have a club here at home and we went down to Mask and they caught the fish out in the deep in Mask and we brought it up here and they said to me, well, after fish and Mask out in the deep, surely there has to be fish out in Loch Hearn. And we did, we went out and we got started to get them, Tom. And People says to me, ah, oh, you, you, you're crazy. You mean, you're a mile out in the middle of the loft, Tom. 
Um, there's not an island around you, nothing but water. And um, somebody says to me, but they said to sister, well, how do you get fish? I said, it's just like this. The fish are there. They're there to be caught. And if you had the, 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 the right gear and the, the, what is the experience to fish, go on and go on and drift and drift and drift and keep on drifting. And the mayfly, say for us, the mayfly or the olives are going over the top of your head and they're drifting out of You keep drifting after them because you're, you're ensure if the flies being drifted out, the fish are out there together. And that's, that, that's exactly the same what's happening in mass. And that's the same in Lockburn. Exactly the same. A, that's amazing. And is it more or less the same type of flies, like with a bit of flash, the octopuses? Exactly the same, Thomas. We would fish in mass. You know what I mean? And uh, now we, we, we've adapted something, Tom. You've probably heard tell it maybe now that uh, we fish a booby. Mm. Maybe you heard yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and that's phenomenal, Tom. And I mean it phenomenal during the mayfly in the urn. On, out in the deep, and I mean out in the deep, Tom, but the floating line, maybe with two good, decent eyes on them, and you struck it by a kite. The, the, the ferocious take you get, Tom. And that, that's something we, we've worked on over the years, and it's um, it do, definitely does work, Tom. Uh, it's very interesting you should say that there, Stan, because you look at, there's two examples you gave there, and, and this is the thing that I said, these have stemmed from competition fishing. Like the use of the boobies have come from uh, the likes of yourself going over and fishing uh, reservoirs in England, coming back with boobies and, and trying them on wild browns. And let's say trying the deeps in the urn. Well, that essentially has come from the World Cup in Loch Mask. I remember fishing uh, an interprovincial tub in Loch Mask a good few years ago. And uh, I was scared, Tom, to put the booby on. You follow me? Because I did put it on, and the boatman was sat in the nave laughing at me. And that was that was laugh. And I, I says, "You're not laughing at my booby." He says, oh. "He says I've never seen the like of that in my life before." Well, hey Tom, I didn't take two throws with it. Up come this boy down bottom. Well, hey, I'm not telling you what he says to me, Tom. It <laughs> <laughs> was flabbergasted. He says, "Tom," he says, "I have never seen the like." Of I, I finished up maybe five or six fish that day, Tom. Um, and the provincial, and I said, I, and I actually gave him the cast of fish, and I was funny. And I said, You may fish that, and you may not, but I said, You've seen now that that does work. And he says, He says, I definitely does work. He says, If I have seen it in own two eyes, and people can't say to me that I'm telling them a fub because <laughs> it's actually the truth. I said, As you know, that's, that's phenomenal, Tom, the things you do to improve your, to improve your fishing. You have to change. You have to adapt, you know, and I think that's a lot of people nowadays, a younger generation, as as doing that, Tom, because the fishing has changed dramatically over the last number of years. So they have to they have to uh, change now, adapt to a different method of catching. I was going to say, Stan, as well, I suppose with the internet and videos and you know, information is being shared all the time from all over the world. Like, isn't it? Like, yeah, that's surely. I that I think that's a great thing too, since. Uh, these uh, iPad came on, people can send messages, they can send photographs of where they were fishing, you know, and getting the fish. And if you see somebody, for instance, there this evening, I'm sure maybe you've seen it there, that uh, Damien Walsh, but must have been the corb tubby, or fishing this um, campo, and he had fish, one fish, Tom, must be 
that Sean must be eight pound, eight nine pound. Right, I haven't no. seen that yet, actually. I have. I saw saw found it. That actually worked at Nightmare at the Bone Tom. Yeah. And uh, that, if somebody sees that, I want a piece of that. You know what I mean? There's an actor. I want a piece of that. That was McCord. That takes people telling them places to. No, that you know you have to. There's no use in sitting in the house watching a video and saying, "Ah, oh, that that was easy fishing." Go and try it yourself and see how easy it is. And see how, you know, see how it's done. That's 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 to me. You have to learn to fish properly. Tom. You know, it's not done overnight. Although you've just said something there now, Stan, it just made me think. If we had this communications back in the eighties, we'd never had the dabbler. Because the dabbler only came along because it was a botched phone call. That was right. You see, it was it was relayed dressing was relayed over the phone stand, wasn't it? That, the whole thing was relayed over Don McLaren. I rang and asked Freddie for the tying of the gosler. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that and he tied up the flay exactly the same as the gosling. But you know, we would put on the the, the gosling ring wouldn't be bronze mallard. Yeah. So well, Donald had told him mallard, and he had thought he meant bronze yeah. mallard, but he actually meant the white speckled mallard. I told him, yeah. So he told him he kept it over with bronze mallard. And sure, that took off big time. It was phenomenal fight for years. Yeah. Then Still is. Every fight, Tom, it's a good flight. And then all of a sudden, somebody will tie a green paper dabbler, a, a, what we call a, a mayfly dabbler. They're all being changed on. They keep one fly was the dabbler. There were two of them. To me, there's two of them, and the only two dabblers that's worth fishing to the present day is the Clark one and the Golden one. And then every other man, you know what an angler's like, told, I, I do it myself. I, I won't play a man with the help because I got the fly tying room there, and the first thing that came into my head is a dabbler. And you would change, well, you would change it that case, put something stupid on it, and then you say, Oh, that looks well. Now you go and get a throw. <laughs> so I think so. Uh, Strange way fishing has changed, hey, Tom, over the last number of years. Flies have flies, Tom, yourself, Tom, you know, it's like flies have changed dramatically, you know, compared to what we got Joxy 30 years ago. You know what I mean? Um, I get the real sense about Stan and Tom is that, uh, as well as kind of the sharing of the information from the competitions, it's it also helps to kind of blow kind of traditional conservative attitudes you know, in kind of the local areas. Oh, no, we never did. You know, that's like you were talking about the booby there, Stan. Yes. You'd have never tried it if you hadn't, you know, seen it working in the competitions. And That's right. You definitely would not. You know what I mean? To somebody actually sees it working, and then, then they note yourself. If you were in the boat along with me, Dad, right, no, and you see me fishing the booby and catching fish, you would automatically then say, that is working. I mean, I mean Give me one, you know what I mean? But you wouldn't have to give, because I'd be giving you one anyway. But that's what happens. And then he takes it, and then he goes somewhere else, and he fishes it, catches fish with another partner, and that's how it escalates, you know. And that's why, that's why the dabbler got so good. They followed me over the years, because there were the remote anglers kept it to themselves for a few years there. And then everybody got it. And then everybody was catching fish on it. Kind of, you're kind of the pioneers, like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just seems to escalate. You know, I mean, always there always is something that if you create a good a fly that that's consistently catching fish, you follow me. That is what people's looking for. 
the, you, you will give him one and he will take it and he will tie one. He will give it to his friend. His friend will give it to his friend. And that's where it comes in every shout and they catch and fish on that particular fly. I love to see that. I don't, I'm not one of these people that can hide flies because there's no point in hiding flies. Give your flies that you're catching the fish on your partner because if you come in at the end of the day and he has six fish and you have six fish, you're friend for life. But go out and fish and you catch the six fish in one fly and him comes in with no fish. That, I'm not going to say the words he'd probably say his friends look say that so-and-so fished all day and got six fish and says he couldn't even take it. And the decency you give him a fly, but that's that's not fishing to me. That's that, that's not the way they fish in the air. You know, the friends is friends, and the, the, the uh, and that's how you get them through fishing. I have a lot of good friends through fishing, and that's basically because they've given me a fly and I've given them a fly. You know. Tell me this: um, Who are the great innovators? Like in terms of kind of through the competition? Like I was thinking in terms of you know river fishing. You know, you think of kind of the checks and. You know, maybe the French as well in terms of you know what they've kind of advanced in terms of the skills. Yeah. Like, or is it a case of everybody's just learning off each other and pushing each other, or resigning well, yeah, and leading the way? Like, no, you'll always you'll always get an anger or come up with a new method. It doesn't matter, you know. I mean, even if when he started his fishing, it maybe it produced something a uh, fly that uh, will catch fish. Now, for instance, have you seen? And the rubbers now that are fishing these gold heads, these what they call these jigs now, they're actually now fishing salmon with these and catching salmon on them. Do you follow me? And that's what we, I do it over the, the own rubber here at home here, the salmon, and we're catching salmon on these gold heads. And that seems crazy, but that's a, that's a method of fishing now. We're big, uh, or, there's a, a private fisher here on the rubber band here, and, and Karen Row, we call it, and it's a primary beat of salmon fishing you can get in Europe. And it was that good that they actually banned the boys using these uh, gold head baits because they were catching salmon after salmon. And that is the, to the gospel truth. There's a, there's a new method of catching salmon. And everybody's taken on to it now. And that's just something that somebody has created out of actually nothing. A river, just a river fly, they tried it in different ways. And I think the French boys, remember right in saying this, was the first to get of the, um, what they call the uh, tungsten bead. That's what they used nowadays. And then that escalated it. And people was fisting here. And then they brought them over here. And good anglers, they would use them. And once they used them and start catching fish, that's like lifting the phone or put it on the news and say such and such was out, out today and get three or four fish on a bait. Everybody's had it there. It's a new, a new, just a complete new method. It's, uh, but, uh, something, you know, in fishing that you just, uh, will never change. There'll always be somebody, uh, an angler, that will come up with some new method. You know, there has to be the gap because you would get bored of going out every day doing exactly the same thing. Whereas somebody can drop a new method. That you're learning, you're back to school again and learning what way to do it. That's the great thing about the sport, isn't it? Like, you know, because kids, you know, you're always learning, there's always something new. Oh, yeah. You, you, I always say they're not an anger in the world knows it all. You just couldn't, you couldn't know it all. Somebody would be, be, somebody be better than you, Dave, because of new method will come up, you know. Yeah, I think it's great, actually. And funny, you touched on it there with the, the boobies. And when I started using the boobies on the Wild Browns, and when they started working, it's actually really nice. And you go, wow. <laughs> 
This doesn't okay. work. That's a method that people would laugh yeah. at. Because yeah, well, I was, I actually was kind of laughing the first time it started working for me. <laughs> now, I have to say, my own view is, I think you move a lot more fish sometimes because they'll they'll chase after. Correct. But like, the fish that are following me, I, I, I was actually laughing. I just go, my God, I'm fishing a booby on one of the premier wild brown trout lakes, and it's working. But funny enough, I find out that, Tom, the booby works better in the deeps for these uh, Daphne feeding fish. Oh, yeah, water, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not, it's really, it doesn't work for the brownies around the shores, around the rocks. I have not, uh, although, no. have you tried it much on the shallows now? Now, that said, no, I, 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 I haven't done no, I, I actually fish it just specifically, fish it for the For the deeps, same as myself, deep. same, yeah. I, mean, I think it's because the movement in the water are pulling fish up. That, you know what I mean? There's something that they see in the surface there uh, they don't realise it's a booby, but to them it's a fly. So it's that moving the water, then they come up to it. You know, like you're right. What you said there, a lot will come up and splash at because you know they don't want They don't know what it is. You know, <laughs> have you told the fish you're they, they, they fishing the booby, and somebody you're fishing the booby, they laugh at you, Tom. That's, that was years gone by. They did, they did laugh at you, but uh, suddenly you know, that's common nowadays. You know. Can I ask you, what's your favourite time of year to be fishing? I love fishing. See, we would go out there on the first day of March. And locker, and I fish locker in a good wee First day of March. And we and that's the truth that we get phenomenal fishing up until the end of March, maybe the, and the, the mid-April. And then once the, the weather changes, if it gets very, very cold, then that, the fishing finishes completely until the weather changes again. A south and fishing lockburn, we found that the best one for fishing lockburn is an east or a southeast one. And people will say east one's is a cold one, but that's not a cold one. The north northeast is a cold one, but the south southeast because they're still very close together there. At the, the there's a wee bit of heat comes along, that seems to turn the fish on to die. You know, but I I we we do that and then we. We wouldn't fish probably this much. They would fish a bit of rainbow fishing until then the uh, start of May there. And then we got, I love the, the we go there to, and Tom knows it there, we go to the Corb there every year there for a week, the duck fly fishing, or the buzzer fishing. And uh, oh, I, 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 I wouldn't miss it there. I love that type of fishing, you know. That's a challenge. That's a new method of fishing being brought into the Corb and mask the whole lot for this last 20 years. It's another something somebody's created. You know what I mean? And, yep. uh, Once again, brought in by competition fishing again, and right, everybody's enjoying it now. That's right, Tom. That's yeah. that just the way it works. You know what? If you didn't have them competition anglers, you, you wouldn't be getting them methods, Tom. That's just you heard something. The competition anglers are bringing these new methods on, and that's how that's how these new ideas have been created. You know. And can I ask you, in terms of like a lifetime of fishing, what's the biggest changes you've seen in relation to you know the seasons, the environment, the flies. What's what have you seen? I think the, the, the weather has got a big factor on it now. Um, we don't have I, climate change. I'd be just going on for you. I think climate change is a big factor in the, the, the way fishing goes at the present time. We used to get snow. I'm sure you remember it used to get snow in the month of uh, November, uh, December, maybe January. Now, you very rarely see snow. 
economy. And then what creates then you get summer times during say September, October, you're getting winter winter months, but you're getting summer months then. So why don't you think the whole climate change is changing dramatically in the fish as uh, I honestly think that the fish has to have a, a certain temperature of water and the water before they start feeding. If it's too cold, they won't they, they just don't feed. You know, and that's that's my theory on, on, on uh, the way the climate change is changing, the way fishing, the way fish feeds now, you know. And uh, even there, and I'm sure you have seen it, maybe Tom has probably seen it. Even you see if you're out fishing for rainbows there too, and you fishing for rainbows, and you get a loft, nice, soft, what we call a nice soft wave on it. You follow me? The fish will come up and rise on it. But if you get a hard, what we call a hard, watery wave on it, the fish won't feed, they go down. You know, we, we've seen that there the, this last number of years, the, 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 a harsh, harsh wind, fish won't feed on it. You won't get them the same as the winter if it's a nice soft day. You don't get them the same. I mean, we're on now, you know, we're on now to the month of May. And this year, for instance, that east one has stayed, and the northeast one has stayed in that arch since, since probably February, March time. And it's only today, the first time I've seen it actually change into the West. And that's going to take, if that takes a week in the West, you may fly it up then. Because that change, changes over, the weather's changed, the, weather, the temperature will come up. If you get the, 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 the uh, weather changed, then the temperature, when the sun comes out, then the temperature comes up. Because the wind is active back to the north or to the uh, south or west. That's where they come from. That's that's my theory on it, there. But um, some people may have different thoughts. But I, I that's my thought. I've been for a long number of years now, you know. So yeah, very. No, it's interesting. Very, very, very true. I think as well. So, so after all your fishing, what's your most memorable fish then? The one well, most memorable fish. Memorable fish, Tom, that I ever caught. Uh, I actually caught it in Rutland about. Would it be five, maybe five, six years ago? So it was. And it was eight pounds six ton. And it was the, the, the biggest brown trout was caught in Rutland that year. It was. And that was caught on a size 12 uh, cormorant. That's wow. just size 12 cormorant. That's unbelievable. You know, but I didn't get it the day. If I got it the day of the competition, I've been well up, Tom, but I don't get this day. Yeah, well, yeah, but you still remember it. You still remember it. Of course, all those, all the rainbows or the, the browns in Rutland are only stocked at a pound, so that they're virtually wild oh. at that stage. Oh, I've, I've, no, they're all stocked on Tom. Oh, they're all stocked in, but I know the, the stocking policy with browns, they only stock them in quite small. That's right. right. That's yeah. right. So they grow on. They grow on, don't they? But I've got a seven-pound trout out of Loch Erne, Tom, during the Mayfly. Numerous, Tom, numerous three- and four- and five-pound trout out of Loch Erne. And tell me this, would, would, is Erne your favourite loch? It would be, Tom, because it's local to me. I mean, I'm, I'm only an hour and a half from it, Tom. If I go to Emmy, I can go to Loch Erne, and I keep the boat and I take cash. She stays in a farm down in Cash, so it's only a matter of going down, lift, hook it onto the back of the car, and I can go in and go to Mass, Corb, you name it. It's sitting there for me, you know. So, and, uh, but it's, 
Corb will be my second tongue because there's something special about the corb that whenever you throw a line in the corb, you don't know what's going to hook on at the end of it. Again, you know, it could be a pound trout or it could be ten pound. You know, there's something special about it, you know. Just because I've been at it that number of years, you know. Something special, something special. Something special indeed. Well, yeah, that's, that's, hey Stan, listen, that's great. It's been absolutely great talking to you. Uh, really great to hear from some of your experiences and what you have to say. So, listen, uh, thanks very much. Thanks for joining us, Stan. Welcome, Tom. Good to chat to you. Our thanks to Stan McCart for joining us on the show. So don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.